Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony Katz. It's Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, uh, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett and uh, there's a lot going on. Let's get right to it. Iran has claimed to be a part of an attack on a U.S. base in Jordan, which killed three U.S. servicemen and injured over 30. Uh, Secretary Blinken has responded by saying, we have not seen a situation as dangerous as the one that we are facing now across the region since at least 1973. Um, which shows you, again, the exact kind of idiots that are currently running um, the United States because uh, you're forgetting 1979, 1983, not to mention 2000 and freaking one. Uh, There have been a lot of situations across the Middle East in which things have been exceptionally dire ever since uh, the Shia Muslims came to power and fundamentally overthrew a lot of nations and promised to kill every American, every Christian, and every Jew they can get their hands on. And this is the key issue uh, with the Biden administration, because they pretend the same thing that the Obama administration pretended, which is that, guys, Shia Muslims, and I don't mean Sunni Muslims, uh, I have a lot of uh, colleagues, um, some of whom are very close to the station, who are really excellent people. Shia Muslims are not and do not qualify, just like a Westboro Baptist is not actually a Baptist in the theological sense. But anywho, uh, a lot of people in the Obama administration and now in the Biden administration have this soft-handed do-gooder attitude to the Middle East. Uh, Even George Bush and a lot of the neocons like Nikki Haley had this idea that, well, if we just give them jobs and and are real good friends and we kind of set up a democracy, after all, everybody wants democracy, Mrs. Cleaver, and we just give them the tools to build and, and they have the same bright spark of freedom that everyone has, which is what George Bush said, which was really stupid. And then Obama said, well, what people really need in in Syria and the Middle East is jobs. We just give them some jobs and by golly, they'll love Americans and Christians and Jews and stop hanging people from cranes. Oh, wait. Uh, No, Shia Muslims have never done that. Uh, The Shia denomination of Islam is a raging genocidal terrorist group, as it has been uh, since its inception. And the United States used to treat Shia Muslims and uh, Islamic pirates in general the way that they deserve to be treated. I will remind you that, uh, again, uh, the song for the United States Marines in the very first verse calls to the shores of Tripoli when Thomas Jefferson ordered that any Muslim pirate that dared mess with a U.S. boat would be sent back into the Stone Age. And that makes a lot of sense. But Bush didn't fight the Iraq and Afghanistan war that way. No, we went up to set up democracies and just kind of put on our kid gloves and uh, kind of the way that we overmanaged Vietnam and ended up losing that war. It turns out that when you treat Old Testament style warfare as an anathema and something to be afraid of because don't want anybody thinking that we're mean imperialists, you end up losing the war. You end up losing the war. By the way, this is one of the things that cost the Soviet Union Afghanistan as well. People like to pretend that the Middle East is some unconquerable region that can't be leveled if people are acting nonsensical. 
Uh, well, the Gulf War certainly proves that wrong. And I will remind you that Afghanistan was fully conquered and leveled a good three times before the Soviet Union ever touched it. Now, uh, Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor, did say that the Middle East was the quietest in over a decade on September 30th, just a week before the Hamas attacks. But there are some bigger points to be made here, mainly that the United States, which has for the last couple of decades operated on the Department of Defense mindset, is getting U.S. servicemen killed. When you kind of treat war as just some kind of a background thing that you can sort of fight and kind of just put enough troops over there to kind of handle things you don't want to go too far because all oh, then pictures get on the media and that scares everybody um you actually end up getting more u.s servicemen killed case in point tower 22 which is a base in jordan was not on full alert status now you might think that when you have a situation in the middle east in which shia muslims are running around killing every american christian and jew they can reach after all the motto of the houthis in yemen is literally death to america in the first part you might actually have a base or two on full alert so that it wouldn't let a drone that it thought was an american drone get too close you might actually check as to whether certain things flying in your airspace are indeed run by your faction and that kind of policy is getting u.s servicemen killed so maybe we should go back to having a department of war is, is that because I want to go fight a bunch of wars? No, absolutely not. But as Teddy Roosevelt said, you speak softly and carry a big stick. I have a secret for you guys. The United States actually has to be willing to use the big stick in order for other countries to treat us as someone they cannot push around. If you glassed Yemen and the Houthis back to the Stone Age, and I don't mean by nuking, but if you did make sure there were no visible Houthi rocket sites, U.S. ships and ships of our allies would probably be left alone. But we don't have a Department of War. We have a Department of Defense. And this has given lead to one of the dumbest ideologies in the entire world, and that is populist-style isolationism. Populist-style isolationism suggests that the United States actually angered all of these nomadic tribes when we spread out around the world and pushed through trading boats and caravans. And, oh, that's just terrible. And so we actually angered the world. And so they're now justifiably angry. And that's why Osama bin Laden attacked America. It was justified due to our meddling. And so, therefore, there are all of these countries that have the right to hate the United States. And so what we need to do is hide inside our own borders and just put this big, huge 800-foot wall around the entire contiguous United States. And we just kind of hide here and pretend that if we just leave the world alone, they'll leave us alone. Only there are two problems with that. Number one, that's how a third grader views foreign policy. That is not at all how the world works. And no, if we hide within our own borders, the rest of the world will not leave us alone. Number two, we have interests. And I don't just mean we want favors from other governments. A lot of the products that we get around the world are cheap because they come from places they cannot be produced or grown in the United States. And it turns out that the Red Sea, which handles between 10 and 30% of world shipping based on the type and category of product that we trade, is incredibly useful for American interests to be able to consume and to sell in that region. And whenever you pretend that the only two options are the Bushian style neocon base building, uh, nation building, soft handed democracy building style, or this kind of weird Tucker Carlson-esque isolationism where we hide within our country and we don't do anything, both options get Americans killed. Both options are bad for this country. 
Neither one of those has to be the case. And I will remind you that the previous administration, Donald Trump, um, Trump tweeted out a picture of an American flag and shot a missile through an Iranian general's forehead. That's how you deal with these problems. You all want to complain about Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. You know, it is kind of useful uh, if Iran thinks that firing a drone at a U.S. base is perhaps a good idea to send a missile through someone's skull. That is a way actually to suggest that you're not one to mess with. And I don't like Senator Lindsey Graham, who said, you know, we need to bomb Tehran. I don't think that's necessarily the right path. But I must say that is not the stupidest thing the man has ever said, because the blood of U.S. service members has been spilt. And hiding in our country is a mockery to the sacrifice of U.S. citizens in the Israeli Hamas war, as well as U.S. service members. Up next, we're going to be talking to Shoshana Weissman from R Street Institute about regulatory reform, followed by Tony Katz with a little Tony to Tony. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. When it comes to policy and politics and everything else that your grandparents post on Facebook, we all like to think in terms of like the really huge picture things that are going to change the very world as we know it and, and what the two ancient decrepit candidates are going to get on stage and box over. But when it comes to genuine differences that you can notice in your daily life, Um, You actually need individuals who understand the big spaghetti bowl of laws. You actually need individuals who are interested in fixing some of these gross entangled snares that actually cause you grief. You know, the kinds of things that you open letters from the government in the mail about and you groan over because that actually matters to you. When it comes to that, we bring on Shoshona Weissman from the great place of East Virginia. uh, And of course, uh, our streets. Uh, Shoshona, how's it going? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for recognizing East Virginia. Oh, it is. It is my absolute, uh, absolute pleasure. I got to ask you, a lot of states are currently in the swing of their legislative sessions. And what a lot of people around the country are really starting to get behind is this kind of reform uh, movement against regulatory issues because everyone's sick of alphabet agencies. This was the thing I wasn't expecting coming out of uh, the last couple of years is that everyone would completely turn on all of the alphabet agencies and their regulations. Are there any states that you think are going to really drive the hammer against regulations in this session? So it's always a mix, and it's really frustrating when I love people on some issues and less on others. Um, Utah's been doing a really good job of trying to make their regulations better and trying to, you know, let immigrants who have credentials from other countries work. And they've really led the way there, which is pretty cool because, if you've ever watched The Office and yeah. um, and Michael Scott introduces his new employee and he's like from his humble beginnings as a prominent surgeon in Pakistan. And it's like, yeah, maybe we like let doctors do at least something here. So they're doing really great there. They're doing really bad on social media policy, which hurts me because I care about it a lot. But overall, Utah's had some really, really great ideas. And it's been great to see. Um, Arizona used to be until... Governor Doug Ducey left. He was so great and he really led the charge on like getting rid of regulations. But when he left, that kind of went away, which is really sad. 
So uh, we're on with Shoshana Weissman from R Street Institute. When it comes to regulatory reform, again, the stuff that matters. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely throw my hat into the political dumpster fire as much as the next guy. But when it comes to differences that will actually change your life, um, regulatory reform is the process of getting the government out of things that they shouldn't be telling you what to do over. For example, regulations on things that I know that Shoshana and I are very passionate about being uh, licensure reform through the education kind of revivification, uh, everyone getting really interested in school choice and education, um, I'm not only seeing people on the right, but even some people on the left starting to question whether teacher licensure and teacher training programs are actually doing anything. Matt Iglesias, of all people, um, stole a point from uh, a friend of mine and wrote an entire article about why uh, through all of these years, of teacher programs and the importance of very, very master's education programs that we're spending all of this money on, teachers aren't actually teaching any better. And maybe it's time to to cut that crap out. What do you think? Oh, I love it. My dad's actually a New York City school teacher and um, he worked so hard. He really wanted to mentor all of his students. Like he would lose sleep over trying to help his students, but he had to work so hard to help his students. Like the system really wasn't built for it. He's oh, wait a minute. He, he worked really hard because of all of the training programs he had, right? Oh, yeah. It's all the training. I mean, he had to have a master's <laughs> degree and all that. Plus, while he's in school, I mean, they made it hard for him to help students. So every bit of the system just isn't really set up to really help students, which is really sad because it shouldn't take forever training. If you have someone who's some great life experience and can teach, why do they need a master's in teaching or even a bachelor's in teaching? Maybe you right. can have an astronaut teach about you know space. That would be really cool. But a lot of times that can't happen, which is really sad to say. But um, I mean, I love the school choice movement and I love licensing reform mm. and I love how it combines here because I think there's a lot of good stuff to do to reform. And I think it's hard sometimes with the incentives, um, but unions don't really protect teachers that much. Sometimes they protect bad teachers. Sometimes it's mm. really hard to fire the really, really bad teachers. Absolutely. And, like, let's have more competition. Let's have more. I mean, competition solves not everything, but it would solve a lot. And if we had more competition, we'd have more choice of teachers, more figuring out, is this guy going to be great for my kids? And that's kind of the what kind of irks me when when someone brings up licensure reform and saying, hey, you know what, maybe every school gets to decide the qualifications that a person should or shouldn't have to be a teacher there. Maybe the school board can hear out the teacher, keep an eye on them and then decide if they should be the teacher that sticks around there. And the, the comment that I always get is that they're going to end up being this class of idiots who are going to sneak their way into the education system and fool everyone. And then all of a the sudden they'll be in schools and kids won't be learning as though parents won't recognize that the person the, the school has hired is, is incompetent. And then also, I'm also seeing a lot of people with licenses who are incompetent. It killed oh. me every day when I was in Indianapolis public schools, I would observe at least one teacher per day who had no business being in the classroom at all. And, and well, they had the license though. So they must've done something right. It, it's, it just gets under your skin. It's such oh, yeah. useless waste. And it has that government stamp of approval. And that's such a common thing. Like 
licensing just means you've gone through the process. It doesn't mean you're any good. I went to, I mean, it's a different field, but I went to someone to do my hair and she's like, oh, I can't bleach over the bleach. It's going to ruin your hair. And I had to explain to her, no, I know my hair. You can bleach over the bleach. It's fine. So she left this like line in my hair that I had to cover. Now I bleach my own hair and I do all the chemicals at home. But, you know, she had this government stamp of approval and she wasn't any good. I've had so many teachers over the years who were awful when I was really, really sick going through endometriosis and Crohn's disease before I knew what they were. And even after my teachers, a lot of them were, they didn't care. They were just like, oh, you're just trying to get out of school. And I'm like, no, my insides are like bleeding. <laughs> like this is a separate problem. I don't hate school. But um, some of the teachers were great and it's licensing didn't fix that. I didn't learn better from teachers just because they were licensed. I, the system just really is, it doesn't work. It's all bent towards regulation. Regulation is so self-sustaining and it builds on itself. And then we forget, hey, this is supposed to be about helping students learn. Maybe we go back to that and figure out how that works. I think the key problem here, again, we're on with Shoshana Weissman from Our Street Institute here on the Tony Kinnikast talking about regulatory reform and the stuff that actually makes a difference in your life regarding the government, not just the political theater on TV. Um, one of the things that has come to my mind lately that uh, I think needs to be a, a sounding alarm situation is that people think that we can just kind of keep going the way that we've been going in the last couple of decades and that nothing has changed. And then I see what's been going on with Boeing and other organizations who like their planes are falling apart, that there's not enough skilled mechanics and there's not enough individuals that are actually uh, coming out of our education system ready to work in any field. I mean, forget just the, the high academia, but in the trades, um, in the service industry, in the cohesion industry. And when we look at these things, one of the key flaws that comes to my mind is that to expand the trades, we've like made trades education more collegiate. Like instead of increasing the amount of opportunity for people to go learn under like a really good master in the trades, uh, we're like making all of these like, community colleges for the trades with all of the same licensure requirements and all of the same duct tape. And what we're getting is a bunch of, of mediocre tradesmen and, and guys who honestly just haven't been given the opportunity to learn from the masters until they actually get onto the field and then stuff goes wrong. I, I mean, is this something that we can naturally correct out of or, or yeah. what do you see? And I love the point you're making, too, that a lot of people learn on the job. I know I learn best by doing or researching on my own. I, I know it's not the same for everyone, but that's how I learn. And I've read a lot, actually, about lawyers here that most lawyers go out and they don't feel prepared to be lawyers after they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. on undergrad and then law school. And it's because they haven't had really good on the job experience. And there's some evidence that like law school clinics are a really good way to teach them just really active internships and apprenticeships. Like that's how a lot of people are going to learn. And 99% of teachers, no, forget it. I'll say 100% <laughs> of teachers learned more during their student teaching time than they totally. did in any of their instructional learning beforehand. I guarantee it. Yeah. And like these lawyers are like, I don't know how to interact with clients. That wasn't a part of law school or like, I don't know how to handle this case now that I'm, you know, the, the bird's out of the nest. And I think that happens with a lot of different kinds of jobs where people just don't feel prepared to do the work because they've never been in that environment. And that should be a really big piece of things, these apprenticeships. And, you know, we can have some restrictions around them or start to build some infrastructure around them, but it should be about good outcomes, not just building on regulation, because we think at some point, just a lot of regulation is going to solve problems. It doesn't work like that. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. Shoshana Weissman, R Street Institute, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Tony Kinnick cast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony to Tony on 93 WIPC. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Uh, it's time for a little Tony to Tony. And for that, you need another Tony. So we brought on Tony Katz. How's it going, man? Is that a, is that a thing? Is Tony that a heart to heart for 2024? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wrote the little music jingle for it. So you might as well use it. Mm-hmm. How are how are things on the morning side of WIBC? Uh, I, I haven't been fired yet. So <laughs> I guess. Look, that that it's radio. That's clearly the... Uh, the arbiter, how, do you, you wake up, do you have a job? It's like the it's the old joke. Uh, you, you wake up, you check the obituaries. If you're not in them, you have breakfast. It's, it, it is that. I'll take it. So the question that I've got, well, that a few people have sent in, is that with the, the whole Trump-DeSantis fight with uh, the establishment GOP versus the populace, now Ronna McDaniel may be opening a line of credit for the RNC, um, because it seems like there's not any money. And some people are saying that's because everyone is spending money on primaries or that the populists are using their own funds. Parties divided. So the question I've got is, is it true the party's divided as much as the left is screaming on the media? And then we'll go from there. Nothing's is as true as what the left screams. Like, for example, when they tell you Joe Biden's serious about the border, they, they can scream it, but it <laughs> doesn't make it it doesn't it doesn't make it serious to the extent that the Republican Party is is divided. I sometimes wonder whether that's much more of a social media conversation than real life. But mm-hmm. it is very obvious that the Republican Party as an apparatus to engage focus, to do its job of getting people elected, of being able to engage in these potential uh, election litigations, which I have not heard thing one about. I have not heard Ronald McDaniel engage thing one about how they're going to ensure 2024 doesn't go down like 2020. Uh, that involves fundraising and fundraising involves uh, a message and involves sharing with people. It involves getting them engaged. And as a party, I'm not talking about where the activist set might be or a, or a Trump supporter or a, or a still DeSantis supporter to the extent right. that they're out there would actually write DeSantis in. Uh, holy hell. Um, the, the Republican Party is a big steaming pile of mess. I don't think that's remotely debatable. So then it's kind of I, I've heard the onus is on. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Yeah, it just choked me up a little bit there with your uh, your response. That's so right. the onus I'm told is is on people who understand conservatism to unite the factions again together. And this has been said over the last couple of weeks with some prominent columnists from the Wall Street Journal over to National Review. So my question to you is, how do we start rebuilding the party to go somewhere new or to maybe start conserving something? I mean, yeah, where well- do we actually go? I think that I think that's the the fundamental issue with with the question, which which is what does this have to do with conservatism? What what does any of the of the Republican uh, dysfunction, RNC dysfunction, Rona McDaniel dysfunction, paying for Trump's legal issues dysfunction have to do with conservatism? That's a, that's a good question. 
None of it and, changes my philosophies. None of it changes Burke or, or Locke. None of right. it changes a, a, a conversation about Hayek. None of it conver- changes a conversation about uh, a, a, a value of, of an ethic, of a philosophy that allows people to have the maximum amount of liberty with the least amount of government intrusion. Zero. So right. so this isn't about conservatism worth a damn. This is about the, 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 the populists who decided that they control the party. They own the party. Okay, you control it. You own it. Figure it out. You can't raise a dime, and you're not ready for the challenges that you say were the reason that you lost in 2020. I don't know. Four years later, you don't have any money, and you haven't learned a lesson. That sure as hell ain't about me. And I think that's really, well, I'm going to be quite frank. That's kind of what I wanted to hear, because uh, obviously there are a lot of times when, you know, we just want to hear some soft, do-gooded friendliness, like, well, it's just going to take a little bit of time to get the party back on its feet. And again, as a, as a conservative, I don't see that any of the philosophies that I've been writing about or any of the things that I've been reporting on have been any detriment to the party. I mean, it's not my fault that, you know, Oz didn't get elected in Pennsylvania and sure, Fetterman's been a totally different box of worms than we expected. But uh, looking into 2024, I'm not looking at how Coach K directed the team in building the team. I'm looking at like Coach K's ability to recruit and manage uh, basketball metaphors were really I, all I had. I got there. the Dukeism. I'm all right. I can go. I, I figured. So the question is, like, do we actually ever see? the RNC being willing to play the politics and raising money for Senate candidates? Is the RNC like salvageable at this point? And that's a weird question because I really like some of the investigative research work they're putting out, but that doesn't mean squad if it's not getting candidate, you know, if Trump wins election and yet we don't see Congress flip behind him, it means a very little in the long term. So, so investigative research, you mean like the rapid response stuff? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that that has been uh, very, very well done. I don't know how much you now fundraise off of, off of that. Uh, for for that's sure. the question. I mean, it it makes for nice social media, but making for nice social media had lost twenty twenty two. Right. That 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 makes your base say, yeah, that's great. That's something I can share. And I'm not saying that isn't important uh, for social media, but but your question was, is the party salvageable? I think maybe. Maybe I, the, the question is, it has to be because I, I would argue that the vast majority of things are um, because things change and things morph. I think the question is, what is the purpose of the party right now? If, right. if, 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 if the purpose of the party, the Republican Party, is to extol a value, uh, well, that would be interesting. But if that value ran counter to something that Trump or Trump acolytes believed, they're not saying it. The CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, came out and endorsed Trump before really the primaries got underway, which is a ridiculous thing to hear. Now, maybe that's the reason that the Conservative Political Action Conference is selling tickets for 90 bucks now instead of their normal 225. Maybe oh, really? they're having. Oh, absolutely true for the first time and i think 14 years i'm not scheduled to go it's just not the 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 same place i know what i'm going to get and if i'm going to go i want to talk to people and be able to engage in, in, in a certain way but i think that's a great example of where the party is right now which is it is it is this thing here regarding the presidency and the presidency only your point is an accurate one. I don't mind them supporting uh, a, a nominee when that nominee wins the nomination. And certainly it seems like Trump's going to. I'm not playing in any level of delusion here. 
Sure. But what about those Senate races, as you brought up? What about those House races? What about governor's races? What about down ticket races? Haven't we figured out the importance of attorney generals or attorneys general, I should say, and secretaries of state? Well, these are important things. Where Where is our body, our mechanism, our our ability to get that done? They didn't show it to me in 2020. They didn't know that the courts were going to step in. They didn't know that there was going to be judicial malfeasance in, in Pennsylvania. Of course they had to know. They got played. And now it's 2024, and you and I, who are at least observers, we're not, we're not necessarily the smartest people in the room, we're, we're at least observers of the thing. Have mm. you seen anything that shows you that they're ready? No, anything? and that's no, and that's what pisses me off. On with uh, Tony Katz here, uh, Tony Kinnick Cast, talking a little bit about uh, just where on earth the party is or isn't going. And right now, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Not the party philosophically, as I'm hearing people whine about in, in opinion editorials. I'm talking about how we get people into office, how we win elections, because I'm... You know, everyone said we have to get Trump uh, through the primary so that we can get to the general. Okay, the general's here. We're like ready to go. This is the big, huge 2024. We've been looking forward to this election since Obama's first term, I've been told. So where where's the strategy? Where's the game plan? So far, I've seen Ronna McDaniel attending galas and events, sitting back in her chair and eating chicken wings. What's where's the moves? I mean, I, impress me. I Okay, first, first, I, I, I have never seen the woman eat a chicken wing, just for the record. I've never personally witnessed uh, that. I guess galas have that catered, broiled chicken stuff. That, that's nowhere near as good as chicken wings. Oh, you're talking about like rubber chicken, like yeah, at, yeah. those non-fundraisers. Oh, things are horrible. I, I, like wings, I was about to say, look at them. They're getting all fancy. Uh, the, the the argument is a solid one because it, it, the the – the focus is so much support Trump, support Trump, support Trump, as opposed to an apparatus that goes about winning. And so this leads now to the question of, of, of what do we consider success? If you get the presidency, but you lose the House and the Senate, is that success? It, oh, the answer it, is no. Is, is, I mean, the answer is just no. It's not success for me uh, either. But a success also involves policies that adhere to, to a value. I knew going in in 2016 that Trump wasn't conservative. It didn't bother me any. I knew my choice was Trump or Hillary Clinton. And as I've talked about many times, you know, I had a 50-50 shot with Trump. I had no shot with Hillary. I knew Trump from my days in New Jersey and, and my parents in New York. Of course, I made that vote. It turned out very, very good for me. And the policies in the main, once you, uh, until you get to COVID, were absolutely conservative policies and conservative think tanks that were involved in that. I don't know what we would get this time around, and it concerns me. But the I think the bigger story here is how could this be the Republican Party not focused on those things and driving that train, driving that policy? Of course, you can have the walls part of a, of a border policy, and so it should be the fence, however you want to call it. But there's nine other pieces that we should already have in the can uh, good to go. Same thing regarding Israel. Uh, Trump's been absolutely excellent with the Abraham Accords, the moving of, of, of the uh, embassy. But now what is the policy regarding the U.S. involvement with Israel and to the greater extent Iran? You don't get involved in foreign entanglements when three American service members are murdered or do you bomb the living crap out of Tehran? Or is it something in the middle? Is, is, isn't there something that we should be saying as a party, or they should be saying as a party, about these kinds of things? Ways for candidates in those down races to be able to speak to constituents or potential constituents and mm -hmm. be able to attract votes. I, and this is that's where the party I, should I, be. I, go ahead. 
No, it's just that's 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 where the party should be. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, we're we're a little bit low on time because you know there's only so much of the world that we can save in in one segment. Nonsense. Uh, but I know, I know. Uh, Tony Katz, thanks for hopping on. We'll be back in just a second. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on ninety three WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. So I do a lot of writing these days and part of my writing style that at least I've been told to by a couple of people who read my work is that I'm, I'm forensic. And that's a very fancy word that means I, I cite my sources. If you click on an article by Tony Kennett, especially if it's an article that is an analysis piece or it's a reporting piece, there are hyperlinks all over that article so that you can click anywhere in my claims and find out exactly where I've got it, the news place it was reported, the piece of legislation. I post a picture of the bill and I highlight exactly where in the bill uh, the claim that I'm referencing is made every single thing that I put is sourced. And the reason that I do that, and the reason that I try to keep all of the, for example, when I uh, was at Indianapolis Public Schools and I started making allegations about things inside Indianapolis Public Schools, I had video evidence, I had documentation, I had a clear list of explicit examples. So two things, number one, no one could ever claim I was making it up. And number two, so no one could ever claim that it didn't happen. Because what's going on at the southern border right now is a clear case of Democrats and those on the left so desperate for Biden to get across the finish line in 2024 that they are inventing a brand new history that everyone knows is complete garbage about the southern border, especially down near Texas. So little bit of a recap since we've been on the air last. President Biden now says that he needs Congress to shut down the border and has proposed, along with some kind of a deal in the U.S. Senate, which if there are any Republicans out there, including Todd Young, who signed on to this horrendous bill, they not only need to be thrown out of office, they very darn near well need to be thrown out of the country. This bill limits illegal immigrants to 5,000 per day. So we're only now allowing, according to this bill that Biden wants through, um, 5,000 illegal immigrants a day. By the way, that's still 5,000 people breaking the law. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, there are these really cool things called border crossings. There are these points of entry. They're really fancy. They have little buildings. You can enter the country there. Even if we built a huge wall with razor wire and all other kinds of security measures, all of that stuff, there would still be these really cool checkpoints called border crossings, points of entry. So Biden wants people to enter illegally up to 5,000 people per day. By the way, if you do the math, that's 1.5 million illegal immigrants a year um, as opposed to the 2 million now. So this is literally just codifying illegal immigration into some kind of a weird muck of pseudo legality, which is insane. Uh, As uh, Bill Mulligan from Fox News pointed out this evening, uh, in California, two human smuggling SUVs uh, we're just seen dropping off groups of illegal immigrants who then trot just uh, right across the border. And they come from China, Turkey, and India in that specific group. So it's not pregnant Latin American uh, women. Uh, it actually turns out that it's people from all over the world entering through this porous structure. 
And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, come on, why aren't Republicans voting on a law? We all see Republicans not voting on this law. Republicans don't want to solve immigration. They just want to make Biden look bad. Uh, And then history comes out to play. Uh, History is kind of an important thing. So H.R. 2, which the Republican controlled House just passed, uh, included measures to shut the border and to make it incredibly difficult for people to illegally emigrate into the country. Uh, I will remind you that President Biden, on his very first day in office, canceled Trump's proclamation of an emergency at the southern border. There have been millions Millions, and I I don't give you an exact number because we do not know. It's a minimum of a few millions of illegal immigrants have crossed the border under the Biden administration, where only a total of about one million crossed during the Trump administration. Republicans have tried to pass seven illegal immigration control bills in the last five years. Seven. And they have been turned down time and time again by Democrats. And Democrats will say, well, what about this bill? Like the the combination border funding bill that hires a lot more border uh, border security and border patrol agents and also gives billions of dollars to Ukraine. See, the problem is a lot of people in the media will look at Republicans being given a huge bill. One of those big, huge 12,000 page thingamajigs. And inside the bill are two things. Number one, it says this bill promises to feed puppies. And then number two in the bill, it says this bill promises to inject heroin into orphans. And then Republicans will say, I'm not voting for a bill to inject heroin into orphans. And so they vote against the bill. And then tomorrow morning on CNN and MSNBC, you'll see a headline and Indiana Democrats will be all over Twitter going, Republicans don't want to feed puppies. And oh, it's so terrible. Um, You guys, they don't have to put. 800 page bills forward that have 547,000 things. Um, you can pass single issue bills, which by the way, should be a law in the state of Indiana. Um, and it, it should be a federal law that you can only pass single issue bills because the Democrats right now were again, HR two was a border security bill that the Democrats turned down because Ukraine funding was not tied to it. If Ukraine is so important, then shame Republicans for not voting for the Ukraine bill, but pass the border funding bill. Otherwise, you're making it seem if you can't vote for the single issue bill, you're making it seem like you can't handle it. Of course, the humor is not lost on any of us that President Biden, who didn't need Congress at all to pass an executive order, which completely twisted a post 9-11 debt forgiveness for U.S. troops in Iraq to cancel student debt for the entire country because of covid Um, He had no problem signing executive orders to cancel like one point seven trillion dollars of college debt. All of a sudden, though, he needs Congress to act on the border. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a very basic U.S. civics lesson right here, right now. Congress passes the law. The executive branch enforces the law. The Supreme Court decides whether the law is good. That's it. That's how it works. So the person who has the only authority to uphold the border is the president of the United States. So let him rewrite history. This is very basic stuff. Thanks for tuning in this evening to the Tony Kinnacast. You can always catch the podcast. Make sure to go leave us a review. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good evening.